0: One thing that I appreciate in life, and maybe you do too, is language. Language. You know, we, we sometimes take for granted how we have the ability to, to speak, and these random sounds and words uh, and the, the letters that we have, they come together, and we, we're, we're able to understand each other. I mean, for the most part. Sometimes there is a language barrier that, that uh, prevents us from understanding someone else. Um, sometimes uh, within the same language, there's different uh, slang or um, different dialects that prevent us from fully understanding each other. But, but I, I find language so, so beautiful, and it's very interesting how it has changed and continues to change over time. Now, I don't know if you were aware of this, but every year, they add new words to the dictionary. Every year, there's new words coming into play. And um, recently, this past year, past October, Merriam-Webster's dictionary added 455 new words. I hope you know them, otherwise you're behind the eight ball on, on English. Uh, but here, here's some to see if you know them, okay? One of the ones that was added October of last year was the word, well, kind of two words, but air fryer. Air fryer. That is now in the dictionary. It wasn't before. And if you didn't know, it's an airtight, usually small electrical appliance For quick cooking of foods by means of convection currents circulated rapidly by a fan. That's an air fryer, according to our dictionary, now that it's been updated. Um, Here's one that I learned, oobleck. Does anybody know what oobleck means? It's now in the dictionary. It's a mixture of cornstarch and water that behaves like a liquid when at rest, and like a solid when pressure is applied to it. I remember having this kind of when we were kids for like an object lesson or something, how if you like try to force your hand into the substance, it would just rock solid. But if you just kind of gently put your hand, it would go nicely into it. And apparently, oobleck is now how you define that. And it actually comes from a Dr. Seuss story called uh, Bartholomew and the Oobleck. And uh, so, so that is now in the dictionary. Ublek, Don't forget it. You might need it. And uh, the last one I'm going to mention uh, is, I, I thought it was kind of funny that they added this to the dictionary only last year. Um, dad bod. Dad bod. Maybe, maybe some of us are like, yeah, I got a dad bod. It's a phys- physique regarded as typical of an average father especially one that is slightly overweight and not extremely muscular. That's a dad bod. And, and so these new terms, and maybe, maybe they're not all too new to you, maybe you've been using them for a while, which is why they've been added to the dictionary, but um, maybe these, these are new terms to you, but there's also some terms that we don't use anymore. Terms that, um, that if you heard them, you'd be like, wait, that was already in the dictionary or in our English language at some point. Um, one of them, womble cropped, cropped. You would probably need some Pepto Bismol if you were feeling a bit womble cropped because it means you have been overcome with indigestion. But nobody uses that anymore. Nobody uses that. Uh, brabble. This is something that basically defines social media, in my opinion. Brabble. To brabble is to argue loudly about matters of no importance. Just go online and you'll see a lot of brabbling. Or, uh, last one, groke. To groak. If you've ever had a dog you know what groking is, okay? A, to groke is, is to stare at someone intensely while they eat, hoping that they'll give you some. <laughs> to groke. I've definitely done that. <laughs> um, although I wonder if it applies to when things are being baked and not eaten. Well, as as I've grown up in church, and if if any of you are more familiar with with church and you've grown up in church, maybe you've noticed that that the church kind of has some of its own terms. If if you were to say some of these terms out um, in Walmart or um, out just walking around, maybe the average person would be like, "What are you talking about? What what do you mean?" or or they might know but it'd be like ah that's a churchy term. And 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 so I've kind of like over over the years heard these terms and be like these are like I've only ever really heard them in church. For example, fellowship. Fellowship. That's a term that we use pretty much just in church. Right? I I don't I haven't heard any of my friends outside of church say hey, let's fellowship. No, it's, it's a church, almost seemingly church-specific term. Like, like it's, it kind of just means to, to hang out and be with people, right? Maybe, maybe eat some food with them. And uh, another one, uh, missions and missionary. Missions and missionary. Now, if you were to say missions outside of church... You might like someone else might think of like a military or spy term, like Mission Impossible, missions or missionary, or um, like for missionary, we've actually as a denomination we've updated our term missionary and we call them global workers now, global workers. And and that's not to change what what they do; they're still still committed to serving people in the name of God and, and through the love of Jesus. But we've, we've just kind of changed how we talk about them. And more, more recently, now, I got to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of these terms of phrase. They just sound weird to me. But we use them in the church. And, and if you use them, I'm not the judge, okay? So don't worry. Don't feel like you have to change because I said so, or because I'm not a fan of it. But the terms of like doing life together, doing life together, like you mean just being like together, like just living with each other, like, w- like doing life together. It's almost kind of been that little um, catchy phrase or, or loving on people. Why, why can't we just love people? That's, that's kind of my thing. I'm like, why do we have to love on people? Why can't we just love people? I don't know. But th- these are kind of some churchy terms that, that really we just use in, in the church. And this morning, I actually want to talk about one of our churchy terms, because I think it's extremely important, and I, I think we need to em, embody what it says, what it means. And so the churchy term that, that I want to talk about this morning is testimony. 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 You really won't hear that outside the church unless maybe you're in a court of law and someone's giving a testimony. And this just to be clear, this isn't savings that you set aside for some sort of evaluation. Okay? It's not testimony. It's testimony. Testimony. And and if you're a Christian or not. Maybe you've heard this term. If you're you're Christian, you probably have. And if if you're not, if this if you are new to the church, this is your first time ever coming here, maybe first time ever watching online, and you're like, this is a weird word. I don't exactly know what you mean. Well, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it this morning. And and whether you are a Christian or not, you have a testimony. You have a testimony. And what is a testimony? Well, your life is a testimony. Your actions and words are a testimony. You know, we usually ask the question, what is your testimony? And in in the church, we we ask that. And, And, you know, maybe I just want to slightly rephrase that is, Maybe of what does your testimony speak? Of what does your testimony speak? We all have a testimony. Whether you are a Christian, whether you claim to be a follower of Jesus, or whether you don't, you have a testimony. And I believe your testimony is important. It is extremely important, because if, if you're a Christian, your testimony is, is supposed to be that which speaks of your foundational faith. Your testimony is supposed to be usually we say, what, when someone says, "What is your testimony?" they're asking you, "What Tell me why you became a Christian and when you became a Christian, right? That's, that's what somebody, if, if I was to ask you, that's what you'd probably think of. And so this, this is extremely important because, I mean, I believe this should be the foundation of my life. And if you're not a Christian, well, you still have a testimony because your life reflects your beliefs. The way you live, the way you do things, it reflects what you believe. So you have a testimony. So if I was to ask you, of what does your testimony speak? What, what I mean is, what do you prioritize in your life? Maybe, maybe you have, your calendar is centered around time with family. Time with family is great. I think it's important. And, and, you, and, and so you would say that, well, my testimony is kind of, the, the core foundation is that family comes first, all right? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I, I think that there is something deeper. Family is important, but I think something else needs to come first, which will enhance your view of family, and so this morning, we're going to read from the end of the first letter of John. Now, the letter called 1 John is actually written um, anonymously. We, we actually don't have within the text someone saying like, Hey, it's Billy Joel here, it's John, it's insert name here, I'm writing to you, here's why. There, there is no name there. And, and the reason we call it First John is because it bears a lot of linguistic similarities to the gospel of John. So very, very smart people that analyze writings say could look at two different letters by the same person and say, well, the same person wrote this or probably wrote this because they're very, very similar. And so that's why we call it First John. And, and the other two letters, second and third John, are written by John the Elder, and they're similar to First John. But but here's where it gets fun. They, scholars don't haven't said you know what, hundred percent we can say that this is all John the Apostle. There there is a thought that maybe maybe John the Elder was uh. A disciple or a, a a follower of Jesus later, a little later. That wasn't John, who John the disciple, who wrote this. So we have the apostle John and then John the elder, and it could be the same person, may not be. So that's why we call it 1 John. A little behind the scenes before we get into it. But here's here's what matters. What is said. I still so believe is inspired by the Spirit of God and is useful for teaching us. And here's what we do know of the the author of the letter of 1 John. He starts it saying he was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness to Jesus. He was there. He saw. He heard. And so he's got some pretty good testimony to share. So let's get into it. 1 John chapter 5 verses 1 to 13. We're going to read the whole thing and, uh, and then we'll get into it bit by bit. So 1 John chapter 5, 1 to 13. The author writes, "...everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children." When we love God and obey his commands, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that, has, that He has given about His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So, maybe as I was reading that, you're like, yeah, I know what this means. Or maybe maybe as we're reading it, there were a few things you're like, I don't know what John's talking about. I don't know what this author's talking about. and And so... I think it's, it's important for, for, I mean, it, it talks about testimony consistently, and, and I believe that this is a foundational value for us, that let's, let's dive into to what the author is talking about. So first off, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that God's, we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commandments. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and that, that is that God established him as the hope and redeemer of humanity. The hope that we need, that we have, and, and the one who will fix everything that is truly broken. And, and I believe that each one of us is partially broken. We we experience brokenness in our day-to-day lives. And and let's be honest, it's not fun. And I believe that Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection point us to a hope beyond that. And and as a follower of Jesus, this is at the core of, of my life my belief, my testimony. And this is why John is stating it plainly. Anyone that believes in Christ has been born of God. And then he challenges them too, the the reader, says everyone who loves God also loves the one born of him. Now that, that can be challenging. You see, there are a lot of people that believe in Jesus, and there are a lot of people that have different perspectives, different personalities, different abilities than myself. And you know, sometimes, let's be honest, people rub us the wrong way. Yeah? Who, who can honestly say, I've loved everyone I've met? Like, and I've liked everyone I've met. Because sometimes that throws a different spin on it. Like, I love them, but I don't like them. Well, here John says, listen, we are challenged to love the ones born of God. And, And born of God means those who have received new life through Jesus. And And so this challenges me, says, listen, if there's ever a time when I'm frustrated or disappointed or if I'm just not feeling love or feeling like I want to love on someone that is a follower of Jesus, then then I need to check myself. I need to need to change my attitude. And, and if I can truly say, like, you know what? I don't have to love them. Why, why should God say, hey, I love them, and then I be able to say, well, they don't deserve my love? Is, is our love better than that of God's? I don't think so. And so, as, as the author is writing this, for, for followers of Jesus, for Christians, we are now challenged to ask ourselves, what is the testimony of our actions towards other Christians? What, is our, what are our actions towards other followers of Jesus telling other people? Because that, that is part of our testimony, what people see by how we act and how we speak. What does how I treat you say about what I believe? And honestly, I need to work harder. I need to work harder at that. And I'm so glad that, that God is going to work with me on that. And I hope he's working with you on that. Now, the author talks about this, this victory. He says that there, there, there's this victory that we, we receive. And so he continues, For this is what God, the love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world conquers the world we are rulers of this world and all government should listen to us well as we can all plainly see that's not how things work right kings prime ministers presidents these these rulers are not all going to followers of Jesus and saying all right how should we do things no, in, in many corners of the world, in, they, they see people following Jesus and they say, well, let's kill them. We don't want that here. And there are many people around the world dying because of their belief. So, so what is the author talking about? In his day, when he wrote this letter, were, people, were the Christians ruling? Well, no. Rome was in charge. Rome was in charge. And... And... It was getting to a point where they were going to have to be careful who they said to they were a follower of Jesus, or it might be their life. So how could, how could the author honestly say that those who have been born of God conquer the world? And, and as I, I talked about a few weeks ago, the kingdom of God is different. It doesn't rule the way the kingdoms of this world rules. And so the victory that we have, the author says, "This is the victory that he has conquered the world, our faith." So our victories are faith? Okay, well, what great, is, great use is faith? Well, it depends strongly on what you have faith in. What you have faith in determines your testimony and your victory. See, the author's faith is in the words, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's what the author heard and witnessed. It's, it's, I, I find it so awesome that we have this letter from somebody who was there with Jesus, who saw him, who heard him. And so this author is passing on this to the reader saying, listen, this is what I have heard, this is what I have seen, and it seems too good to be true that Jesus lived, said what he said, did what he did, died, and then rose again. But I'm telling you, this is what happened. And so the author is saying, this is my faith, and the the victory that I have is that which Jesus had. That in the face of the worst thing, in the face of death, rejection, and just incredibly abusive treatment, there was hope and something greater. That's the victory. And so John, the, who we believe wrote this, and the author is saying, listen, my testimony, and I want your testimony to be, that of one which has hope and belief in something deeper than anything this world can throw at us. Pastor Sue read from Lamentations chapter 3, and honestly, that is my favorite verse as Jeremiah writes it in a time of, of deep distress. And he says, you know what? Beyond all I see and feel, great is your faithfulness, God. Your mercies renew every morning. And so that is what the author is challenging us to, put, to, to stake our life on and how we live. If your faith is truly in Jesus, your life will testify to that and be a testimony of that. For those of you that enjoy hymns, there are some pretty, pretty great ones. And one of my favorites is, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." And it has a line that goes, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, how I've proved him or and or.'" Apparently the R's, or the V's, sorry, were too good for the song. Oh apostrophe E-R is how it's written. But how I've proved him over and over is the, the meaning of that. And, and I love that line, but at, if you look at it at first, it's like, well, is, is that saying that I've gone around and I've made a, a factual case for Jesus saying, listen, I've proved him. I've proved him. We've got all the evidence here. No, what I love about that line is saying, as I've lived in this faith, God has used my life to prove himself over and over how I, how who I am, has proved him over and over because God has been working through me. And that is the victory our faith brings. In the light of, of moments where, where we feel like we're about to lose it, when when we feel stressed out, when when we get to a point of breaking. We can look at the life of Jesus and say, his body was broken and yet by the power of God renewed so that I could trust in that for me. Whatever this world has to throw at me, whether it's riches or poverty, health or sickness, I am grounded in the eternal life of Jesus. Now, if if you are not a follower of Jesus, remember, you still have a testimony. Your life still has a testimony. Your deep-seated beliefs determine the direction of your life. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are those deep-seated beliefs? When you are confronted with situations that, that throw your plan out of whack? What do you resort to? What are the things you hold on to? I said at the, the beginning when, when uh, COVID was starting up and we didn't know where this world would, was going to go and lockdowns were starting, I, I said to a few people, I said, this is going to force people to look at what they truly value, what they truly value. And I think in some senses it has. When your plans get thrown against the wall, when your calendars get shredded, what do you hold on to? I think that gives, gives evidence of what your deep-seated beliefs are and what your testimony, what your life speaks of. And maybe you got to those points, and, and you weren't too happy with it, or it wasn't enough. Well, I think I, think I know why, because <laughs> I feel like I've had those moments, and the only thing that kept me was my faith in Jesus. Now, the author continues in First John 5, 5 to 9. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one that believes in the Son of God? The one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water al- only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood and these three are in agreement if we accept human testimony God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son okay i'm going to be honest this section gets confusing when i first read this it's like okay what what does he mean by The water, the blood, the Spirit testifying, these three. Like, why why are they so important? Now, if if we were the reader that originally got this letter, we would probably know exactly what the author's talking about. It's like if you were to take a letter that your, your grandparent received from a friend, there would probably be parts of it that you didn't understand, wouldn't understand, especially if it was a letter that they received as a kid from a friend. And so you'd read it and you'd be like, well, I kind of understand this, okay, but there's some, I got some questions. Maybe it's about some events or some, some stuff that happened that, or, or maybe there's just some inside jokes, right? And you'd have questions. And so... It's really good to understand a bit of the, the background of what is happening. And so, at that time, they had the, the Jewish belief was for uh, a legal procession was that if two or three people came and gave testimony, gave, said, this is what happened... It was to be believed. We we have it in in our courts today how we have witnesses come, take the stand, and say, this is what I saw. And if you have a bunch of witnesses saying, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, this is what I felt, it gives pretty good evidence that, you know what? I think that happened. And so, so very similar to us today, we have this. And so the author is saying, "Well, if you believe human testimony, what about that which God has shown you? Is that not greater than human testimony?" Okay, but what is he talking about? Well, the the reason that the author was writing this letter was because there had actually started to uh, arise a heresy. So this this not true belief about Jesus. See, there were some people that had decided that they believed that Jesus was not fully God and not fully human. In fact, they, were, they believed that, you know what, either God was fully spiritual or just fully human. And so that, if, if you don't know, that is actually very important to our faith. And so this author, he said, no, 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 no. No, I was an eyewitness. First of all, Jesus was fully human. I I was there. And so when he talks about the water and the blood, there's very good reason to believe that he's talking about the baptism of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And and the Spirit of God being part of that, at the baptism, we, we can read about how the Spirit descended like a dove, and then God spoke, said, this is my beloved Son. And then in the death of Jesus, by His resurrection, we see the power of God. And so John is calling on on these events and, and God being a part of them and saying, no, 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 listen, we told you that this is what we saw and heard and we want to reiterate that because there are people telling you the wrong thing. By his baptism, by his resurrection, his death and resurrection, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, which they had witnessed as well through different miracles. Jesus was fully human and fully God. Any other belief is incomplete and wrong. And, and it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around. How can you get, in, in percentages, 100% of this thing and 100% of this thing makes 100%. Well, it, it's, it's hard to get your mind around. And I'm not, I'm not going to try and explain it this morning. But the importance of it is, is where I find great comfort in. That, that Jesus, who was God, would become human. And I don't think we can come to any other conclusion that he was God based on what he said and what he did, that we have these written documents of people who are eyewitnesses that said, this is what he said, this is what he did. Jesus must have been God. And that's where people had started believing that he wasn't human. And yet, the people that were with him saw his humanity. They saw that he was killed just like any other man. And that when he was raised to life again, those that saw him, though initially they thought maybe he was a ghost, they came to the conclusion that Jesus had been raised to life in his humanity as well. And that is the hope that we have, that we will be raised to life in our humanity. In fact, that we will receive new life, new humanity through Jesus. And as I was getting ready for this Sunday, I was thinking about Jesus being human. And Jesus living so long ago, he didn't have some of the luxuries that we have. I, I was thinking about it, I was, Jesus didn't have plumbing in his house. That's very inconvenient. Jesus didn't have internet. He didn't have a lot of the stuff that we have today. And so I I look at it and say, wow, well, Jesus just living back then had a a rougher time than I do today, and everybody that lived back then. And so just thinking about that, Jesus decided that that was a good time to go, even though it would be harder just to -to day-to-day life thought that was very interesting. And it kind of stuck out to me and made me a bit more thankful. Now the author continues his letter, 1 John 5, 9-12. If we accept human testimony, as I mentioned, God's testimony is greater. Talked about that. Because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. Here's where I think it gets really exciting and challenging. But but here's where, as, as a follower of Jesus, I think it gets really exciting for us. The author says that those that believe in the Son of God have eternal life. Eternal life. This new life. You know, growing up, I would go to a lot of uh, Christian camps. I would go to different Christian conventions, and they they would have different people. Many times, come and talk about how God radically changed their lives. Like there were people that had, like I think there was at one point a guy who had actually killed someone and gone to prison, and and like he he's like God changed my life, okay, and. There was, like, people that were drug addicts, and as soon as they became a Christian, they're like, God changed my life. I was no longer a drug addict. Like, this is, like, the evidence of what God can do in your life. Now, God can do amazing things with people's lives. He can take people that are drug addicts. He can take people that are depressed. I believe that God can take, take whatever situation that you come with, and he can radically change you in an instant. But I also know that he doesn't always do it like that every time. And in my life, I look at it, and, and over the course of my life, there was not an instant where it was like, hey, I put my faith in Jesus, and my life was 100% different hundred percent different. For me, it's been this growing understanding of who Jesus is that is changing my life. But here is what the author says. The one who has the son has life. And he says, God has given us eternal life. He doesn't say God is going to give us eternal life. He says God has given us eternal life. It's an important distinction. See, our hope is not in fully, 100% what, what is to come. In fact, our hope is in what has happened. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have the opportunity to have eternal life. And I believe that God has given me eternal life. And and I want to look further into what eternal life means because I think we've gotten into this idea that eternal life just means without end. And I don't think that really captures the entirety of what Jesus has done for us. This isn't just, well, you get to live forever. No, this is, I am giving you fullness of life. Fullness of life. And I think that's so exciting. And, and I wish I thought of it and realized it more in my day-to-day life. Because if you, you really sink this to your core belief and live that out, that God has given me fullness of life, through Jesus. Like, that should change my life. And that's where the challenge is. And that's where the rubber hits the road. And if you've missed everything up to this point, I want you to think about an answer, and answer this question. Okay? This, this is kind of what I'm getting to. And I think the author of 1 John is. The question and challenge that I am left with daily and you are left with daily is, what is the testimony of your life? What is the testimony of your life? To what does your testimony speak? What is your life telling people around you? What is my life telling people around me? Can people look at me and say there's something different about him? I think I want what that person has. I am challenged and overjoyed by this one verse. 1 John 5:11. This this I hope can be everyone's testimony. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. That's it. That's it. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Regardless of what we've done, regardless of of where we come from, what we have in our hearts or our minds, if we put our foundational belief in this Jesus who said what he said, did what he did, who died and rose again, for out of love for his enemy, which I was one, then God has given us Given me eternal life. And this life is in Jesus. And and so as, as a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you and myself to to work on living this out more fully by the way I act, by the way I treat you, and by the way I treat everyone else. By the way I prioritize my money, my time. I want to do better at this. And, and, and the great thing about this is as I, as I learn more about who Jesus was and who Jesus is, and this eternal life that he has given me, I, I find I value people more. Like, during the week, I'll, I'll go out and, and I'll be in a bit of a grumpy mood, and this past week I was talking with my wife about how um, just like a smile, just, just smiling more, like, changes how people look at you. And, and so I, I was about to, to go into a store to shop, and I, um, I forget what I was listening to, but it reminded me of the hope that I have. And I, was like, I should be I should be excited about this. Like, and it almost feels weird to shop with a smile if you're not used to shopping with a smile. I felt weird. But you know what, I should be more excited about this. And as I, as I hear more the, the words of Jesus, I value people more and I value myself more. And, and it, I, hope, I hope you never think it's a, a prideful thing. And, and I don't want it ever to be prideful to you. But as you see how much God loves you, I believe it gives you a healthy view of who you are and what you have to offer. And so that's what along the lines I want you to do this week. If if this is what you believe, that Jesus has died, rose again, and given you eternal life. First of all, I want you to try and commit that verse to memory. 1 John 5.11. This is the testimony that God has... See, I have to do it. I'm looking at it because it's right here. I got to work on this. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son, Jesus. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son, Jesus. And and let that sink in. Let that truth permeate your life as you, you work, as you rest, as you eat, even as you sleep. And be ready to share that truth with people. Be ready to share it with people you meet. Peter wrote in his letter, his first letter that we have, this disciple who walked and talked with Jesus, who would be the first to tell you he didn't get it always right, but he writes in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, which means completely different. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. See, if you, if you live in a way that reflects that hope, people are going to wonder, So be ready. And, and that's why I said commit that verse to memory because that, I mean, that, that's it. Now maybe be ready to explain what that means for you. But that's it. That God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son, Jesus. How many of you have met people that seemed to embody this so well. And maybe it was the person that changed your life, that brought you to where you got to have eternal life. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be that person for someone? And, and maybe, maybe you won't even see it. Maybe it'll just be, you know what? This is why I am the way I am. And, and you know what? The person may laugh at you or just kind of like, okay, whatever. They may think about it or they may just, it may not even come to mind later. But what if it was the start of changing someone's life? And you know, there, there's someone... In, in my life that has actually challenged me to to think about this more and more and 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 try and live it out more and more and uh, it's actually my my father in law who i'm not saying this for for brownie points and I didn't talk to him about this, so hopefully i'm okay but my my father in law has told me many stories of just just different times when He's just been excited to share the hope that is in him with people. And, and he's not doing it to, to say, oh, look what I've done. No, he's excited about it. He said, you know what? This is what God has done for me. The nicest thing I can do for other people is to pass that on. And, and I think about it, I, like, I need like, I need to do that more. Because God has been so gracious, so good to me. I can tell you time and time again how in moments when, when I felt terrible, when situations were terrible, and yet my faith in God was like, you know what? It's, it's going to be okay. And in some cases... Pretty soon, God provided what I needed. In other cases, I had to go through it. And then I look back and be like, well, I was pretty ungrateful during that time, but God, I'm, I'm kind of glad you let me go through that. And so I hope that I become more and more a person who is ready to, to share my testimony, to share my life story in a small small statement that God has given me eternal life and that life, that wholeness of life has come through Jesus. And, and there's so much wrapped up into that. It's, it's been a life journey of, of doubt, research, talking with people. If, if, if you are thinking about this and mulling this over in your mind, talk to people. Do research. See, for me, for me it's been, this is how God has met me in my, my life, along with, this is what I've come to know as historically true. True. And it's this beautiful combination of, of this isn't just something I feel, but this is something that I cannot deny. And so this, what, what this author has written is a great hope for anyone and everyone who believes or decides to believe. But it is challenging if you don't believe i mean the author says well if anybody who doesn't believe he calls god a liar that's a pretty pretty harsh statement right there now if you're like well i don't believe in god well then i guess calling god this non-existent thing a liar isn't that bad fair enough I think that's a hard conclusion to come to and I think it's a pretty hopeless one. In in my, my journey, I have come to the conclusion that to be an atheist, the logic conclusion of being an atheist is to be nihilist. And what I mean by that is the logic conclusion of not believing in a supreme, powerful God that created everything is to believe that nothing matters that that to me is just the logic of it and yet i see that life does not reflect that there is so much meaning in our world and and if if you don't feel that there's meaning you you matter okay you have meaning to so many people, whether you feel it or not. And so I hope that, that if you're thinking about this, if you're unsure about this, keep looking into it. Keep looking into it. And I'm sure there's many people in this room that would love to tell you why they believe And so when this author writes that those who don't believe call God a liar, I I want you to know, like, the author's intent was not to condemn people that didn't believe. He was actually, he was writing to Christians, to followers of Jesus. And, And it was to encourage them to stay strong in their belief because of what? He had seen, heard, and experienced of the historical Jesus. And so I hope we all can find hope in that. And, and I'm going to read 1 John 5.13 one more time, which is the reason he wrote this. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And if, if you don't believe, I'm sure that this author would say, I'm writing to you so that you might come to believe and know that you have eternal life. And there would be nothing more exciting. There should be nothing more exciting than for us who believe to see you come to that same belief. See, with us being given that wholeness of life, that eternal life, to see you also receive that, that would be pretty amazing. And so that's why this morning I wanted to talk about Word testimony. A weird yet very important word. I don't think I could speak really of on anything more important than that, for both us who believe and for anyone who doesn't, because we all have a testimony. What is it? What is your life telling people? What do you want it to tell people? Your life and actions testify of something. I hope, I hope it's of Jesus and in the eternal life that you have been given. I'm going to ask the music team to uh, come forward and uh, going to play a bit as we as we close, and And as we do close, Maybe, maybe you're, you're thinking, okay, my life is a testimony, and I don't know if that's exactly, the testimony that my life is giving, what my life speaks of, I don't know if it's exactly what I want it to speak of. Maybe, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, you say, I'm a Christian, and you're still challenged by this. Well, I am too. Maybe you don't believe. And whoever you are, I think it would be good for you to take some time and to read a letter. 1 John is a pretty good guide on how to accept and live out God's grace. Take some time to invest in yourself and read it. And I pray that it will have an eternal impact on you. But more importantly, if you're thinking about this, if you're like, I I want that hope, I want that wholeness of life, what what I've had as my deep-seated belief has not cut it. We would love... To pray with you, to speak to God with you. We would love for you to come and have that wholeness of life. And we have some people here that would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. I don't, I I honestly can't think of anything better to do with my time than to bring you into that relationship with God. And so as we, we close in this song, if, if you would like someone to talk with you, pray with you, or even if you have other prayer requests, we've got, a, we've got some people here that would love to pray with you and, and feel free to, to come forward and pray.